they would treat you a certain way in front of people and then behind the scenes it was very different it was very dark you said that seven years ago you found your voice what was that event so i was with my now husband and we were in the car and we were just having a real simple conversation and i looked over at him and he's like, say it. And it would not, that was the first time that I stopped and realized that the words were literally stuck in my throat. And I could say to him, I want to, it just won't come out. And he's like, interesting, okay. And I said, I don't know what this is, but I'm gonna work on this. And it just, I never felt in a safe place. I finally, he gave me a safe place. So again, Lisa, I wanted to say thank you for, for taking some time to chat with us today and wanted to just start by giving you a chance to tell us a little bit about your story and what it is that you do now. So thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm really excited. Um, so my story is I am a childhood abuse survivor and um, I went on a very long journey of healing and growing. I'm still in that journey. I don't, you know, I'm, I don't think I ever fully heal. Um, and that's okay because there's always room for growth. Um, and through that, um, you know, I did healing, but I also had the opportunity to, um, to help a, women heal from their childhood abuse. So for about eight years, I helped co-facilitate a childhood abuse healing workshop for women. Um, it was a very intimate setting. It was an eight week workshop and, um, we got to see a lot of women begin their healing journey or go deeper into their healing journey. And of course, in doing all that, I continued to heal and grow. And, um, you know, I didn't have a voice for many, many, many years until about seven years ago. And I finally got my voice. And not only do I want to share my story, but I want to create an opportunity to help others as well. That's more, that's really important to me. And so that's what I'm doing now. I'm on a mission to get the message out and help people heal. And not just from childhood abuse or trauma, but just in their growth journey. When you say, and it doesn't have to be specific to your story, but when you say trauma, mm -hmm. and I, I, d does that always mean, you know, like physical abuse or what does that word mean whenever you think about someone's history? So, you know, child abuse, there's a lot of, there's neglect, there's, you know, physical, verbal, sexual. Um, so that's all into the abuse. Trauma to me can be anything like a child has an illness and they're in and out of the hospital a lot, or they have a parent or loved one, um, you know, anything like that where um, it kind of changes the course of the child's direction because it was such a big event. It's not necessarily childhood abuse, but it could be an event that happened that can create the trauma. And then that, that trauma creates wrong messages, especially when they're young, because you can't understand what is going on. And so you start believing lies about yourself or about the situation that sends you down kind of a negative direction. Why Why is that? Do we know why our, our brains work that way? Is it just because they're so malleable as, as kids that whatever happens yeah. there, we think that's the truth about ourselves? Like what is well, it? Yeah. That... Yeah. I, yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to uh, talk about um, Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, there's so much that happens in to children that us as adults can't comprehend, right? We can't even wrap our heads around it. And so you put it into a child's mind and what a child tries to do is just find the way to survive that moment. And so they pick up these traits or whatever that works for the moment or works for a little time, but they carry that into their adult 
life and it doesn't work anymore. So I think it's a coping mechanism. Um, and it's just what our perception is at that moment, you know, for children, it's a snapshot. So that's what they take in. Um, and I just don't think they have the ability to process it out. I mean, it's hard enough for adults to process so much of this. I think I, that's what I believe. What, so why is it then that statistically we see people that, you know, if we've gone through trauma or abuse or something like that, we end up in maybe toxic relationships as an adult. Mm -hmm. Is it part of that processing mm -hmm. thing that you're talking yeah. about? So because we yeah. never process it correctly, mm -hmm. we just kind of repeat the pattern. Right. You go to what you know, you go to what you're comfortable okay. with. Right. And I did that. It just looked different. And I had a really great, great question on a podcast one time um, that said, um, we were talking about domestic violence and she said, well, if left unhealed, do childhood survivors end up in domestic abuse relationships? I said, absolutely. It just looks different. It just looks different. And so in my case, one of my marriages, it was, he was full on a narcissist. Mm -hmm. Well, so is my abusers. It just looked a little different. Their narcissism was a little different, but it was the same thing. And so it seems kind of silly that a person who grew up in a you know a childhood abuse would end up in domestic violence, but it's just what we know. And I call it kind of being comfortably uncomfortable. And it's just what you know. And until until you start getting self-awareness and start getting sick of being abused and making steps to get out of that, and it is steps, it's not um, an easy thing to do. I mean, that's that's what we do. We just go to what we know. How is and I've heard this term from other mental health professionals. When you talk about narcissism, how's that reflected in people? And what what's those key traits of a narcissistic personality? Well, uh, like for my uh, late husband, it was gaslighting. Um, he he would do he would say really bizarre things. He would accuse me of stuff that was really outrageous. He would uh, constantly keep me on edge. I, I I never knew what he was going to do, what he was going to say, how he was going to act. Was his temper going to change, um, which that I grew up with as well. Um, he, uh, he liked to create fights. He liked to, mm -hmm. he liked to get me upset. And at the time I didn't know it was narcissism. I just thought it was crazy. And I would even look at him and say, I don't know what this is, but this is crazy. I, I can't do this. I don't understand. So narcissism and in my, in, in my abusers, it was reflected very similar so they would treat you a certain way in front of people. And then behind the scenes, it was very different. It was very dark. So in front of everybody else, because they always want to look good, I, I there was you, nobody saw any problems. Hmm. But behind the scenes, where no one could see, it would be very dark. You said that seven years ago, you found your voice. What was that event that led to you? That, that's a great question. Um, you know, I didn't realize it, but I, I have a, my good friend who actually is doing my first episode with me. She used to say, well, just say it, just say it. I would just look at her. She'd ask me something and it would be in a conversation. It wouldn't be a conflict or anything and it wouldn't come out. So I was with my now husband and we were in the car and we were just having a real simple conversation. And I looked over at him and he's like, say it. And it would not, that was the first time that I stopped and realized that the words were literally stuck in my throat. And I could say to him, I want to, it just won't come out. And he's like, interesting. Okay. And I said, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to work on this. And it just, I never felt in a safe place. Interesting. 
I finally, he gave me a safe place and I just started testing him. I just started saying the things that, you know, they started coming out and now I, I still struggle with it. Sometimes it automatically tries to shut down. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, I had that happen to me, um, but I'm aware of it now. And so because I'm aware of it, I know, okay, I need to go say that thing. I need to go say that it's stuck in my throat, but I need to go make it come out. What, and so what is it that's stuck like that? Just the emotions or the, the feelings that you're always kind of repressing before. It's literally the words I want to say. I'm sure there's linked to that emotions and there's some kind of trigger. I'm sure it's some, it's some form of a trigger, um, but it's usually the words. And I, and I'll tell you the message that comes to my head as soon as I feel that is, Oh, if you say that they're going to run away. If you say that they're going to walk away and it's not true. And then the logic of it, when I stop and I realize what I'm trying to say is not something crazy that will make him run away, then I'm able to say it. But that is the very thought that comes to my mind that would stop my voice. And is that from people running away in prior relationships? Mm -hmm. or Okay. Mm -hmm. Or I say what I'm going to say and I get physically hurt for it. Okay. Yeah. So let's take a step back because I want the thing that always is, I think, inspiring for everybody and interesting to me is the healing process. And mm -hmm. I think it can look different for different people. But mm -hmm. when you I, well, let's take a kind of an overview of it. When you think about healing, what are, what does that process look like? So the process is, um, it is custom. It, I mean, it's really custom to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for me, it was the first thing that I needed to do is have self-awareness, right? And so that I could catch the triggers, the emotions, the feelings, because all of that is giving me a message. And that allows me to slow down listen to that message and process it and then react. And so, although I say you never, for me, I don't believe that I ever fully heal. I learned to manage stuff. And so once you learn, you get to the point that, like for instance, if a trigger hits and you don't just react, that you slow down, you walk through it and you react in a different way. That to me is a measure of healing. And then from that point, it becomes growth. The first step, then we'll say to to this when we talk about self awareness, is at least recognizing mm -hmm. those those emotions you know that are coming up or right. the trigger, like at least recognizing right. that that's what this is, mm -hmm. and now I can kind of get a game plan for for dealing with it. Right, right, because you know, and I I've shared this example, but um, for me, what the trigger does is I get triggered, and now that I'm aware of it, what I'm aware of when I'm being triggered is. There's a lot of thoughts that go through my head. It, it, it's really frantic and it's illogical. And the outcome is usually something that will be detrimental to me or somebody else is usually what where that leads me to. And so the benefit of having the self-awareness and recognizing that you're triggered is that you can take a pause between the trigger and the reaction. And in that pause is where you can slow down and realize, okay, I'm being triggered. My mind is doing all this stuff. My mind is telling me to react this way. I know that that's not the right way to react. So what's another way? And start looking at other choices. And it is so powerful. Because going back and cleaning up those triggers after you've blown up and you've reacted to the trigger inappropriately, there's damage that's done. And it's hard to clean that up. Yeah. Well, so after we've, after we've identified what it is, what do you, 
like, and then you said it's, it's on to growth, but what does that look like? Is it just recognizing that, Hey, I am able to deal with this or what is, yes. Okay. Talk yeah. about what growth means. Right. So, so it makes you, it, it, it's empowering to realize, Oh, okay. Well, these emotions and these triggers that I'm having aren't controlling me that I am able to step up and, and manage them myself. And so that, what that does for me is that expands my mind and it opens up my mind to be able to focus on things that I want to deal with within myself. You know, I feel like I, I have a victim mindset. I definitely had a victim mindset, but I wouldn't have seen it when I'm triggered and when I'm living in survival mode. Right. And so then I, it opens me up to being able to look at myself and look at, okay, you're in the victim mindset. How do we go about changing that? What does that look like? And what steps can you take to change that? And to me, that's growth. It's still part of healing, but it's beginning to grow. I don't I don't know how to ask this, but when you say you were in the victim mindset, it's almost like mm -hmm. that that's kind of understandable given that you mm -hmm. were a victim, right? right. But you're right. saying you don't want to be limited by it. Correct. Right. So the victim mindset, yes, that's one of the actually one of the survival techniques that came out of my childhood abuse, right? I was a victim. I absolutely was a victim. And when I think back on that, I literally took that mindset into my adult life. So anything that happened around me, I took no responsibility for. It was your fault. It was your fault. It was everybody else's fault because I was a childhood abuse victim. And I just, when I think back on that, it's like, I, I do see that I had that. At the time, I didn't see it, of course. But it was it was something that I carried from my childhood into my adult life hmm. and was detrimental to everybody. But so, and you talked about, you know, your, your now husband being a safe space for you. And I think this is really important because a lot of times the stereotypes along with, you know, abuse victims or trauma victims is like, well, then why didn't you talk to somebody? Why didn't you, yeah. you know, speak out? Mm -hmm. How do we, so like, I think about this from the perspective of I'm, I'm a parent, I'm an employer, I'm a friend. How do I become a safe space for people? What does that look like? So safe space, because for me, what what caused me not to ever feel safe is I always felt like I was being criticized or judged or laughed at or picked on. And so the, a safe place is someplace where someone can go and they can say whatever, and they're not going to be judged. They're not going to be criticized. And a lot of times we don't want, we don't want you to fix it. We just want you to listen, you know? Um, and so that's really a safe place. Like I know I can go to my husband, I can say crazy stuff. <laughs> and he does exactly that. He just looks at me and smiles and he, and he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say, well, now that's kind of crazy. You know, he right. just lets, he knows that I'm just venting. I'm just letting it out. I have a voice now. Yeah. I think that's, and I don't know if it's all men, but you know, I have, I know myself has the problem of like, if someone's sharing that, it's like, well, let me, let me help you. Let me try and fix that problem. Right. And it's like, and my wife's always been like that. It's like, I'm not necessarily looking for an answer. Cause a lot of times, you know, the answer It's just, I need to be able to get this right. out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah. so interesting that, but giving someone a safe space is so powerful because it, I mean, that has to be part of the healing process too, or right? just being mm -hmm. able to share with somebody else, or at least feel that you're not alone. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because what I have realized over the last probably year is that I didn't share. And 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 it's been this really interesting little journey realizing that because it wasn't intentional. 
It wasn't, um, and, I, and I don't remember anybody ever saying, don't ever tell anybody, but it was just, I didn't. And I think the key to that is there's a lot of shame. Yeah. There's a lot of shame. Well, that has to be, I don't, I don't want to speak out of, out of turn here, but especially true for, for women, right? Like that shame that goes along yeah. with, especially like sexual abuse or something like that. How do you, how does someone get past it? Well, you know, and it's interesting you say that because actually for men, uh, the sexual abuse can, there's a whole nother layer for them. That's, that's even tougher. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and, and men need to speak out yeah. and you, I don't know if you get past it. I think it's one of those things that you learn to manage. Um, and I have found in my experience, fortunately, I was not sexually abused, but in doing the workshop, there were a lot of women that came in that were, and oftentimes later in life, they're raped, you mm -hmm. know? So it's almost, um, it's almost like you wear a label and it's not, you're not doing this intentionally, but it's almost like this, I, I'll put it this way, a label gets put on you. And so there's something to that. And so, you know, the healing process, because I can't speak for what it's like to heal from sexual abuse. I know it is, it is hard. It is absolutely possible. I've seen it. Um, it just, there's a lot of different layers to that and um, you can learn to manage it. And you, again, you can work through it. So you're no longer a victim and you can be victorious, but it's, um, it is difficult, especially for men. Yeah. No, and that makes a lot of sense now that you say that. And it's, I feel like um, a lot of people feel like they don't have, you know, whether it be people to talk to or, or it's it's a part of that, that shame um, mm -hmm. aspect of it. But like, there's not really, I don't know how to phrase this, but there's not really levels to our trauma, right? Like, just because right. you weren't, you know, extremely, you know, on the far end, doesn't mean that there's not things that you can heal from or should heal mm -hmm. from or should process. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for people to realize is that it, it's okay to talk about the little things too, because that will help right. you as a person. And you've right. worked with a lot of people. Like, is that true? Like, do people still get, um, it's advantageous for them to, to try and go through that process, even if it, the trauma is in their minds minor? Yeah. And that's, yes. I actually had um, one lady that she was actually my friend that went through the workshop and she was going through the workshop because she was going to support another friend. And she goes, well, but you know, my abuse wasn't that bad. I just had alcoholic parents, alcoholic parents. Think about it. They are not going to be good parents. They can't, if they are inebriated all the time, how are they going to meet your needs? And it was shocking to me that she really thought, well, it's not a big deal. I was just, my parents were just alcoholics. By the time she got done with the workshop, she realized that it was much more serious. And so people can tend to downplay it. Mm -hmm within themselves and think it was no big deal. And I actually did that for a long time because it took me, I was so focused on, because my abuse came from my parents and my brother. My brother was the one that did most of the physical, verbal, and emotional. Um, and my mom, it was the same. And my dad, he just, he literally didn't protect me. He literally, and I know it wasn't because he didn't love me. It's because he went through his own trauma. So I don't know where I was going with that, why I went on that tangent. I do that sometimes, but, um, but, um, the, the, you know, the abuses are different and they affect you differently. How do we, do you think that that healing process is important and maybe it's necessary before like being able to help others, or do you think that it could almost be like therapeutic and that help by helping others can help someone get through that? I think you do need to do some healing because when we were doing the workshop, one of the things that um, 
was a requirement was if they were in any kind, if they had, had uh, worked through any kind of addiction, they needed to be through their addiction for a year and their therapist had to tell us, okay, that they could come in and do the workshop because it could trigger them. And because they're interacting with other women and we were all helping each other. So you can help, but I think that there's a, a season where you really need to work on yourself and you need to look in yourself and heal yourself before you can reach out only because, especially if you're an empath, you will tend to start focusing on everybody else hmm. and then you're going to let yourself go. So I think there's a measure of healing you need to do for yourself. You can always help others. Absolutely. But if you really want to be able to dig in and start paying it forward, if that's something you desire to do, you do need to do some work on yourself and make sure that you're in a really good place and you're as balanced as you can be because helping others takes a lot out of you. So you got to protect yourself too. That makes a lot of sense. I, I ask that because I think about it from a parental perspective and it's like, well, I want to make sure that my my children feel like, you know, I'm not imposing some sort of traumatic experience on them or I'm, I am that safe space for them. And when you do, you, I don't know if you work with a lot of, of parents, but what does that look like when we say, I want to create an environment at least that's healthy and enables children to grow up in the in the correct way? Well, you know, I, I worked, I try I worked really hard with that with my son. Um, and as a matter of fact, there was a point and I shared this with him where I thought about not having children because I was aware of the fact that childhood abuse can be carried on. And I really looked within myself and I really made a lot of commitments. And one of the things, there was a few things that I did is one, I would absolutely protect my son and I did, and I would never lie to him. And I would always be there for him no matter what. And we've always had a really close relationship and, you know, he still to this day feels safe with calling me up and, you know, sharing things with me. And you just, the thing is, as parents we always want to jump in and try and fix things. And sometimes we just need to listen. We just need to create a space where it's safe, where they don't feel they're going to be judged, where they can say whatever they can say, even though you may not like it. That's really important. And I didn't have that. I actually had kind of the opposite. I was told, you know, I, um, I trust you. I trust you. And, you know, until you, you know, you always tell me if you're going to do something. And I remember I would tell her and then I'd get in trouble, <laughs> you know, when I, I'd admit something to her and then I would get in trouble. It's like, but you told me I, you know, and so you, you need to be a person of your word. Yeah. Well, I think that, and I, one thing I've tried to, my, my kids are young, the oldest one's only three, but it's like, I wanted to implement that where it's like, no matter what happens, like, I don't, mm -hmm. you know, you can tell me and you're not going to get, like, I need to know the truth. Like he'll hit his brother and it's like, he's crying. It's like, well, you're not going to get in trouble. I just need to know how to actually help him. So tell me what happened and be right. honest. And then we can go from there. But I, I don't think a lot of people grew up in environments where I could be completely open. It's like, as kids, mm -hmm. we're always trained to, you know, be seen, but not heard. Right. Like right. sit down and be quiet. And and I think that even today it's, it, it's continued. So then you get to adulthood and it's like, well, I've never been in an environment that really allowed mm -hmm. me to express any of that. Mm -hmm. It's right. but how do we, how do you go about changing that mindset? So is it, is it just out of convenience that we do that? Like, Hey, kids should just be good, be quiet, not, not talk and not bother. I us? think so. I think, you know, I think what happens is parents get busy and they want mm -hmm. a minute. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, sticking a cell phone in front of them and, you know, and, or a tablet or something and letting them play. Um, it's really putting all that stuff down. I, you know, I, 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 what I love about my son and my daughter-in-law 
and my um, husband's daughter-in-law and son, son is that they talk. They, they sit down with the kids and they let the kids talk. And again, it's that no judgment, no criticism. You're not going to get in trouble or there may be consequences, but we're going to talk about it. Having conversation is huge because I, yeah, I was, I was raised where, you know, be quiet, you know, be seen, not heard, uh, always believe adults, always listen to adults. And I remember that being a big one for me when I realized when I got to adulthood and adults weren't perfect. Like I literally thought when you got to be an adult, you became perfect. That was the mindset that I had. And it was quite shocking when I found out when I was an adult, I wasn't perfect. And I had that conversation young with, with my son when he was really young. And that was, and I remember it was really cool. My dad was in the car and I was in the car and I was talking to my son and, and I, and he, somebody made a mistake or something. And I said, well, you know, adults make mistakes. And he was shocked. <laughs> he was shocked. And I said, you believe that parents don't make mistakes and he goes yeah and I, and and my dad even spoke he said oh yeah grandpa even makes mistakes I'm like yeah you do <laughs> you know but <laughs> I didn't say that but um but you know it, and that opened a whole nother dialogue like it it completely opened up his mind because he had and I don't know where he got that mindset but that's kind of I don't know where I got mine either but that's exactly what I thought and it was tripped me up is there a right way to have those conversations or is it literally just a, like, hey, put in the work to at least be open and honest with, mm -hmm. with kids and not even just with kids, with anybody, but there's mm -hmm. not even necessarily a right way to do it, is there? No, no. Just sit down and have a conversation. It, 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 you know, just be authentic. Be honest. You know, I, I thought about this, you know, and I, I thought we would have this conversation. I, I don't know how it's going to go. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to say, but, you know, I want to have this conversation with you. I want you to feel safe. What would make you feel safe? To, to share, you know, if you wanted to share something really, you know, vulnerable with me, what would, you know, that's a big word for a little kid, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, you just say it. That's the problem is we don't say it. I, every time I talk to, you know, like mental health professionals, it's like, it all comes back to that. I, I don't know what it is. Is it like a sense of community or just having that other person? And it's like, and I think you hit on a lot is like that, that safe space. So whenever you're working with people, whether it be a workshop or just on one-on-one, on -one, what are the like things that you focus most on? Is it literally just being that ears for them to hear their story? Mm -hmm. Like what does, what does healing look like when you're working with people or for someone that hasn't, you know, reached out to a therapist or, or someone yet, and they're maybe afraid to, what does that process look like? Yeah, it's really letting them talk, letting them talk and asking them questions to help them process. Because I know for me, there's so much, it, it, it's kind of interesting because I'm, I'm still kind of going through this with myself where I'm recognizing and realizing a lot of stuff. And, you know, it's, it seems like your mind sometimes gets so bogged down that you don't know what you don't know. And yeah. so it's really letting them talk and asking them questions and getting clarification. And that is just like this conversation we're having here, right? And it's, that helps them think and that helps them sort it out. Because the truth too about not speaking is, you know, if you if you're thinking about something and something's bugging you and you don't say anything, it can sit and fester in your head, right? And you're thinking over and over, and it turns into something that it's not. And as soon as you give it words, what do you think it is about giving things words? I mean, you've heard this, like everybody's heard that words have power. 
What do you think yeah. that is? like whenever we can actually say those things out loud, just because our brain then recognizes that we're taking control of it or something? Like, what do you think that is? I'll give you a great example. So when we were doing the workshop, the first night, each woman would share one real quick story about her abuse. And, um, and in it, we would say, you know, how did it make you feel? What were you thinking? What were you saying to yourself? And it is amazing as they say this stuff out loud, you can hear the lies, you can hear the beliefs that they have. And when you, and, and for them, there's a lot of aha moments. Like they realize as this stuff's coming out of their mouth, plus what we were doing at the same time is we were writing this stuff down. And so when they were done telling their story, um, we would have a conversation about that. And they would be like, I didn't, I didn't even realize I said that. I didn't even realize I said that. And so there was that, there was that realization. The other thing that was really cool is that we watched the women connect because for so many of them, they had never shared their story. There was one lady in our, our workshop, 75 years old. She never shared her story, not even with her husband of 50 something years. Mm. And so what that does is it connects the women. Cause all of a sudden this woman isn't thinking, gosh, I'm the only one that feels this way. I'm the only one that carries this shame. I'm the only one that thinks this way. All of a sudden, oh, you feel that way. And there's this connection. And all of a sudden it's empowering because you're not this weirdo off in the corner thinking that I'm the only one that thinks like this or acts like this. Oh no, other people do too. I think it's, it's one good thing about where we are in society that at least mental health's becoming not as mm -hmm. taboo and that we can, we can talk about it because absolutely, you know, I, I, say you know negative things about like social media and stuff like that but the connectivity of it all is helpful because like you said just having that you know hey there's one other person out there like me mm -hmm. it's huge and i think that you know there's a plenty of resources out there now that allow you to see that and yeah find, and yeah find that those stories yeah because i mean and even laws for children because back yeah. when i was being there was no laws there were no laws in place really to protect children from abuse until like the late 80s wow yeah what, so, so, and what do you mean by laws like that they couldn't, they had no, like, yeah, when they my take brother action was, against their, yeah, when my brother was beating me, we could have called it, they didn't, they could have right. called the police, but I don't know what they would have done there. What law did they break? Okay. You know, I mean, and maybe if you put me in the hospital or something, maybe, I don't know, but there was nothing in place. There wasn't counseling at school. There wasn't, you know, even when my mom, I lost my mom when I was 16 to cancer. And even then there wasn't any, any counseling or anything for me that was offered or you know even at school there's so much more now and it's, I'm glad that mental health is being talked about more because mental health it's just like having diabetes or can't it's just it's part of your health system it's everything right. this is not different than the rest of you that's a very good point have have you forgiven your brother yeah I have I actually have and I did that I worked through that a long time ago um and I have forgiven my dad. I'm pretty close to completely forgiving my mom. I'm still working through some stuff on that one. And I'm still working through forgiving myself because mm. the behavior I had while in survival mode, because you do things in survival mode, you wouldn't do outside of it. And so there's still some forgiveness I need to do for myself. And there's still shame that actually comes up for that. And, you know, of course, I'd love to go back and fix it all, but I can't. But what I can do is take that energy and go forward and do more positive things with it. What allowed you to go through that forgiveness process? Was there something that kind of triggered it for you or was it just, um, you know, it's interesting because I ended up taking a, um, class on forgiveness. Hmm. And so I learned a lot about it 
And the most important thing that I learned about it was that it forgiving my brother does not diminish or downplay at all what he did. He is responsible for that. The forgiveness releases me so that I'm not angry, which then turns into bitterness and resentment and, you know, they go down a road I don't want to be. And so that's what I learned. And that's why it was really easy for me to embrace it because I knew, okay, this is another tool that's going to help me rather than it's not going to help my brother, but it's going to help me. Are you in contact with him? No. And I, cause I wonder, cause the reason I ask is I think there's a key distinction there it's like just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you have to invite them back into the <laughs> correct correct yes and and you know it was interesting because the workshop that i um did for eight years i took before i actually did the workshop and for a long time i felt guilty because i did cut communication with him because he um one time went after my son and pulled something on him and i said that's it nope yeah. we're not doing this again so i cut i cut it off um and so i felt guilty I felt guilty. I thought, oh, that's not, you know, I'm not a very nice sister. I'm not a very good person if I'm doing that, especially as a Christian, because I was a very practicing Christian then. And it was like, oh, it's just terrible. And then when I took the workshop, the one thing that they said that really helped me is you should forgive them. Yes. And that's for you. But if they're still abusing you, you do not need to reconcile. And as soon as she said that, I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I do not feel guilty anymore. Yeah, no, I think, and thanks for sharing that because I think that's important. It's like you can forgive, set yourself free from it, but also that doesn't mean you have to let that unsafe person back in your life. Correct. Yeah. If they're not safe anymore, you don't want to let them in. You, it, you know, it's just, and he's not safe anymore. So he's never going to be welcome back into my life. And is this, you know, we talked before we were recording, but with your podcast that's coming out, is, is you said it was about your story. So is it really dived into to all this or is it about, you know, conversations with other people? What's the podcast going to be on? So the first episode is my story because I, uh, again, being secretive, I, I didn't share. Um, I, I haven't shared much outside of therapy. I mean, some people have known. Um, so the first episode is going to be my story. And that's so people can understand me and, and hopefully connect and understand. I don't go a lot into the actual abuse itself. I do tell one story. Uh, what I try to focus on is how it affected me mm -hmm. and then how I have been healing and growing from it. And then going forward... I do have experts on that'll talk about different things. Like I had one on, she's really interesting on infertility and trauma. And she has worked with patients and she's helped them heal from their trauma, which then allowed them to get pregnant. And I didn't even know that. So I'm having some really great experts on that are going to share about all kinds of things like that. Plus a platform for people to come on and share their own story of hope. As long as by the end of the podcast, there's hope, right? And so that people have a voice. And again, it's that whole connection thing. And the reason why I call it hand in hand, healing and growing hand in hand, is so that we can all connect and help each other. And believe me, as I'm going through all this, I'm still doing, doing a lot of healing and growing from it. And I love that. So we're all helping each other out. Are you saying that the um, the experts that are coming on are going to share that story? Or are you letting your listeners like kind of submit stories of hope? for it. No, I'm actually inviting people to come on and share their stories, actually come on the podcast and um, share their stories. Same with the experts. Um, and a lot of people have written books. So a lot of them are coming yeah. on with books, which is great. Um, so yeah, no, they can come on and share. So, you know, I, I invite people to go to my website and, um, and then they can, if they want to submit an idea or if they do want to come on and um, share their story, they're welcome to. Well, I think that, um, you you talked about yourself still, you know, 
healing yourself and and still working through things i, I think that's an important distinction as well as like that process really never ends it's not like you just mm -hmm. one day get over it right and i think that's what's hopeful it's like well just because you start the process doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to feel better no but you do get to a point if you keep working on it you do get to a point where it's not so daunting mm -hmm. um and setting yourself up for success like for instance i call my home my sanctuary and i grew up in a home of chaos and then i created a home of chaos for many years because of my survival mode and even though i would stand back and oh, I can't stand this. I hate this. I, you know, and I didn't know how to change it. Um, I still lived in it. And so now one of the things I do is my home is my sanctuary and it is a calm, peaceful place. And not just for me, but anybody that walks in the door, you know? And so, no, you, you, I don't believe that you ever heal, but I do believe that you absolutely have measures of healing and you learn to manage it. And it's not, it doesn't have a grip on you anymore. It's not consuming and it doesn't have the deep effect that it did before. What does your, your home being your sanctuary look like? Is it just that it's the, the turmoil from interpersonal relationships went away or mm -hmm. is it, do you think it's truly physically, you set it up in a way that makes you feel better? I physically set it up. We, my husband and I physically set it up. Um, yeah. We're careful about who we let into our home where we, you know, we, we don't argue, you know, we, we have discussions sometimes but we don't argue because we have conversations. You know, if we need a minute, that's fine. Um, I I do a lot of meditating in here. I just, I'm careful what I listen to, what I watch, you know. Um, I just, I have a big imagination. And so I have to be careful what I put in there because it kind of can run off on me. And does it put you back in a place of like that fear? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. It'll, um, I'll get real unsettled. I'll get very, very unsettled. Um, and um, it, how I describe it is I want to crawl out of my own skin and get away from myself. <laughs> That's the way I describe it. <laughs> so when I start feeling like that, I gotta, I gotta calm things down. And what do you <laughs> see? And what, like, is it because you watch a certain TV show or a certain, like hear a certain story? What is it literally just certain triggers that cause that? Yeah. Like I don't watch anything intense. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm gonna watch something intense, it'll be like early in the day. Oh, it cannot before bed. Not before bed, you know. Um, yeah, so I, especially TV, because TV, yeah. you know, and there's so much junk on there. And so music, I love music. So I like to listen to a lot of music and that's soothing for me and all different kinds of music. Music that makes me dance, music that makes me cry, music that makes me meditate. Um, so all of that, smells, you know, making sure like we're constantly going through our house and um, getting rid of stuff, like reorganizing and just mm -hmm. making it a calmer place and getting rid of stuff. Because that, that's another thing. I, I didn't turn into a hoarder, but I would hold a lot of things because there'd be memories to it. Right. And so I don't do that anymore because I got the memories. I don't need the physical thing anymore because for some reason that was a big thing for me for a long time. Um, so it's things like that, cleaning your house, getting stuff out and it doesn't have to be, ours isn't immaculate. It's lived in, but in, you know, half hour, I can have everything picked up and put away and done. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Well, I think that's a big piece of societal problems today too, is that mm -hmm. feeling that we have to have so much stuff or it has to be so big or it has to look a certain way. And it's like, I talked to a feng shui consultant on here once and mm. I asked the question of like, well, it, 
does that mean I have to go buy these things to set it up in a certain way? And he he said, it's actually more about removing the stuff out of your house, mm-hmm. simplifying it down that makes you kind of feel better. And I was like, it does. That, that, that hit me so hard. It's so true. Cause like, I'm in the mood to clean my closet and I've been talking <laughs> about doing that. And I'm like, I'm going to do a big purge. I'm in a purging mood. And, and it bugs me because I haven't done it. And then once I do it, it's like, oh, that feels pretty good. And I can walk in there and it's all organized and it feels good. Because the one thing that has always bugged me is I don't ha- like to have to look for stuff. And yeah. so I'm organized for my own sanity. I'm Now, see, I don't know if I'm like organized because I'm bad about like hiding stuff in a closet. But I've always been like, I want it to be neat, but I always felt like, whatever I see, my surrounding was an outward expression of like my inward mind and my inward emotions. So I'm like, and if it gets all cluttered, then I feel cluttered. I don't know if everybody's like that or if there's science to it, but man. No, there is. And it's true because I'll walk in and I'll notice like my office has got a lot. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, it clutters my mind. And so I'll just take a minute, I'll clean it up. And then it's like, okay. And it's, you know, and I lived in, in a lot of clutter for a lot of years. So you could imagine what was going on up here. Yeah, it's funny how it's probably not funny, but like I've been around people like growing up or whatever that were kind of a chaotic household, and that mm-hmm. what comes with that is the disorganization and that clutter. Mm-hmm. It's like those two go yeah. hand in hand. Absolutely, and I don't know why. Um, and it's interesting because I was grow I grew up in a home where my mom kept the house clean. Like, oh really? Oh yeah, she was very very clean. Um, every Friday night we tore the whole house apart and cleaned it. Yeah. So it was always clean. And I like that. And it's interesting. And once I started coming out of my fog, I guess is what I'll call it. And, and I started working on that and cleaning and getting rid of stuff. It it was, it took years because it took a long time for me to let go of this stuff. Right. And my son really helped me because he's a little millennial. Right. And he's like, I don't want anything like his house has got. Yeah. And, and so I can't go quite that far, but he's actually like opened my eyes and um and it is it's it's really freeing yeah i don't know why um you know the younger generation is better about that my parents are this like here here's this thing it's like i don't want it just throw yeah. it away yeah yeah I, I i've gotten rid of pictures and stuff because like, he's not going to want them and i don't want to leave it behind for him to throw away right it's like i'm just gonna yeah i'm just gonna deal with this when you die if you don't do something with it now so <laughs> so just you go ahead and throw it away because i mean unless you I'm not, i don't want it right <laughs> Yeah. So what's the best way for people to, to follow you out, outside of the podcast? Is there a way for people to, to get in touch or kind of follow along with what you're doing? Yeah. So I'm on TikTok and I'm on Instagram. So on TikTok, it's Lisa Tickle. On Instagram, it's Lisa M. Tickle. And then I um, I have a website and it's um, healingandgrowinghandinhandpodcast.com. And on there, if if you have an idea for the show or you want to come on to the show, you're welcome to submit it. Um, and I always reach out. I, I usually do like a little pre-meeting just to see what's going on. Um, but that's the best ways to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, I thank you for for sharing so much about yourself, about your story, and about really how we can uh, kind of start the healing process. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much.